Hi, everyone. I'm Jamin, host of the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Hannah Ben Shabbat, keynote speaker and founder of Gen Z Planet. Founded in 2019, Gen Z Planet is a research and advisory firm focused on helping brands understand and navigate the change that Gen Z is bringing. Most recently, Hannah released her new book, Gen Z 360, a guide to understanding the next generation of culture creators, employees, and consumers. Hannah, thanks for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you for having me. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their role to Michigan State's marketing research program. Are you looking for higher pay to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of marketing research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted jobs six months prior to graduating. The program has three formats. The first is a full-time 100% online program that is taught over 12 months. It starts in January, 2022. The second is a part-time 100% online program. It lasts 20 months and it starts in May, 2022. It's specifically designed for working professionals. And of course they offer a full-time 12 month in-person experience that starts in September, 2022. All programs include real world experience with full-time job placement support. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. That's broad.msu.edu slash marketing. It costs nothing to get more details. Take the time, invest in yourself. You are worth it. Class sizes are limited, so please check them out today. This episode is brought to you by Momentive. You may have heard that SurveyMonkey's parent company recently rebranded as Momentive, a leader in agile insights and experience management. The Momentive AI-powered insights platform is built for the pace of modern business so you can deeply understand your market, elevate your brand, and build winning products faster. Momentive offers 22 purpose-built market research solutions that incorporate an AI engine, built-in expertise, sophisticated methodologies, and an integrated global panel of over 144 million people to deliver meaningful insights in hours, not months. Momentum also has a team of market research consultants that can take on anything from research design to custom reporting as needed. So you can spend more time shaping what's next for your organization. To learn more, visit Momentive.ai. That's M-O-M-E-N-T-I-V-E dot A-I. Let's start with a little bit of context. Tell us about your parents and how do they inform what you do today? I would say that I'm not sure how they inform what I do today, but definitely they inform who I am today. Uh, my dad has always been a, an owner of a small business. Uh, all his life until today, he's 85 and still going every day to his business. He started uh, as an owner of a fast food restaurant in Israel, then moved into textile, clothing and home, and home textile. And throughout his life, he worked very hard. And I think that if there is anything I, I would say that inform who I am today, it would be his hard work and work ethics and his interest in, in 
running a business and and doing something that he likes. And I, I think that's something that I definitely got from him. Uh, my mom was a beautician for many years. She only started working once once myself and my sibling uh, reached our teenage years. And uh, she is a very curious person. And once she retired, she decided to go and take storytelling classes. And recently she published a book in Israel. That was her first book, almost like in parallel to what I was doing here. So that was kind of very interesting to watch. And I believe that what I got from her is really her curiosity, her love for books and expanding knowledge. And so I would say that's that's really what I would say I took from each one of them. There are ingredients for a successful entrepreneur clearly in the center, especially in consumer insights. We see Yeah, I think I think it's very I think it's very true. I actually never thought of myself as entrepreneur because as you know, my background is actually in a very established kind of corporate um, management consulting industry. But uh, a few years ago, I just decided that I want to do something different. And it was quite interesting, you know, because we're talking about my parents. My parents were delighted that I decided to, to, to take that route and, and do something different. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's resonate with them because that's what they have done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, the other ingredient, of course, being um, a work ethic. You, yes. you know as well as I do, what you're doing is writing a fiction and then bringing that fiction to life. That's right. That's, that's very right. And I would say also, you know, I think, especially in the market research industry, you can't do market research if you're not a curious person. If you don't ask yourself 25,000 questions every day, like why this is like that or what's going on here or there. So, yeah, absolutely. I am super curious on that topic. Your mom, a storyteller, has she taught you anything? Are you leveraging any knowledge um, that you may have gained from her to tell better stories about consumers? I would say not so much about consumers, but I guess I guess I followed her through her process. And sometimes I, I see how she chose how she actually chose certain stories to tell and how she tells them. And I think that's always very helpful. Let's talk about Gen Z. So um, I've got a couple of kids in Gen Z, in the Gen Z framework. How is Gen Z different from previous generations? I would say in three major ways. The first one is just demographically. Gen Z is the most diverse generation to live in this country with 48% minorities, just to give a reference, when baby boomers were in a similar age stage in 1969, 18% of the population was minorities. So that's, that's a huge thing. I think that's, that's a, major, a major difference because it affects how they view themselves, how they relate to the world, what they expect from you know, the world around them, be it schools or future employers or brands. So that's that's one thing. The second thing is quite obvious, but, you know, something that I think people still 
are trying to get their heads around what it actually means is the fact that they are the most connected generation. This is a generation that was born into a world that doesn't know a reality without a search engine, which without a cell phone, without social media. That affects everything they do, how they think, how they process information, how they learn, how they communicate with each other, and how they form relationships. It's just so integral part of who they are. They don't have what we have, which is the before and after. We can think about how life was before we had mobile phone. You know, we could we go, oh my God, how we could find each other like in a busy mall. They they just don't understand that concept. It's kind of what do you what do you mean? It's just we we have our phones all the time and we use it all the time. So I think that's another thing. And I think the third element that makes them very different, which is related to the second one, is the fact that they have that level of connectivity means that they exposed already at a very young age to everything around them, the world, the challenges that we have around us economically, you know, climate change, um, racial issues. And I think they, because of that exposure, they have a very a keen interest in questioning, in understanding why things are the way they are, and also have inclination to take action. I mean, we have seen, you know, the probably the most prominent examples are Greta Thunberg and her climate change movement, or or in here, uh, the Parkland, Florida uh, school kids who basically came and mobilized millions of people to talk about what do we do about guns. So I think that's that's level of engagement and level of questioning is something that I find quite interesting and very different than previous generations. Do you think, how, how do you think this impacts them from a psychology perspective, this, this increased uh, amount of exposure on how the world works? Well, I guess it's a very timely question because we are talking today and in the background, we have all over the news, the Instagram uh, files and the effects on mental health. I think it has, I think the exposure and the access and the connectivity has both positive and negative uh, effects. I definitely, in my studies, I definitely seen a Gen Zer telling me that, you know, having access to social media make them feel more creative, uh, help them with their social connections. But at the same time, there is absolutely no doubt that it's a major cause of mental health issues that this generation is severely grappling with. It's interesting. My my family is, uh, as I mentioned, I have several children in this in this particular mm -hmm. age group, and just the vocabulary that they use mm -hmm. uh, relative to things like mental health mm -hmm. uh, is so far so far surpasses any that I had, um, mm -hmm. you know, for the first I would say twenty years of my life, if not more. That's very that's very true, and I think uh, on one hand. You could look at it as a parent and say, you know, this is very sad. You know, when we were young, we didn't speak about depression and anxiety 
we probably could not even define what these were. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that people at our time did not suffer for that. And the fact that you don't talk about it is actually making things worse. So I'm trying to see the positive in that. And the fact that they have that vocabulary, the fact that they are able to talk about it is, is a good thing because it means that if there, if there is a willingness to talk, there is also a willingness to ask for help and, and not suffer through it. But that doesn't decrease the severity of the issue. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting as you um, increase exposure, you know, you have a generation with massive, this amazing mm -hmm. amount of exposure to a globe uh, that yeah. previous generations just completely, I mean, we had libraries, right? Uh, True. Or, or I did. Um, yeah. And so you're looking at like probably quite literally a 10 to 15 year lag of knowledge just from the book sitting inside of the local library. Uh, let alone me at getting access to it. And now everything's in, in quite literally real time. And so that level of access or exposure has now created this like framework of uh, priority to action where they're taking that information and then mobilizing and acting mm -hmm. upon that, whether it's for themselves or uh, for mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the broader, the broader communities that they connect with. Mm -hmm. So as, as you kind of think about who this generation is and how they're different. What are some common mistakes that brands are making when they're trying to relate and connect with Gen Z? I would say there are several common mistakes, but one of the biggest one is thinking of them as an extension of the millennials. I've seen many articles talking about Gen Z millennials on steroid. No, 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 they are very different. They are not extension of the millennials and there are some areas that is they're fundamentally different so one of the things that i always say about generations and what define a generation is how do you react to the circumstances in which you grow up what sort of action you display or or what sort of behavior you adopt as a result and one of the things that is very interesting to see is that millennials reacted to the circumstances around them which were a recession, high student loan debt, and so on and so forth, with being very uh, conservative financially. And I saw recently a study that shows that millennials keep the majority of their money in cash because they are afraid of a catastrophic market event. So they are not really looking into investing in the same way that we see other generations. And when you look at Gen Z, you look at completely different a way of looking at things. They are much more entrepreneurial. They are much more willing to take, to take risks. They are very conservative with money in the sense that they are more savers than spenders. However, I speak to Gen Zs every day. And like you said, that sometimes you really get surprised of the vocabulary that is used. I hear... 16 years old and 17 years old who tells me that they save money, they put money into a Roth IRA. And I'm like, I didn't know what is Roth IRA when I was 16. And they're just so savvy about investment. They are using uh, apps like, um, like Robinhood to make investment in stocks. They are very active and they are very committed to secure their financial future because of the learning that they had growing up as kids of 
the 2008 recession and experiencing right now the effects of COVID-19. So completely different reaction. And, and I think this one example is really, a, I would say, a blueprint on how you think about these generations. Uh, millennials were all about defining themselves and, you know, self-definition. Gen Z is all about fluidity and I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to be put in a box. Um, even, even kind of the social media that they admire, I would say, I always say that millennials are more Instagram and Gen Z is more a TikTok. If you want to put kind of a personality to the social media, because Instagram was, is all about perfection. It's all about this kind of almost unreal pictures of beautiful vacation spots of perfect selfie. And Gen Z grew up to reject, to reject those ideas. And instead they are rather be themselves and go on a place like TikTok and be silly and perform than try to show something that is just not real. So they are very much truth seekers in, in that in that sense. And I find it very appealing, but that going back to your question, it's really one of the mistakes that brands are making to think that this generation are just very similar. I think the other the other mistake I would say that they are doing is assuming that because Gen Z are so connected, they want to do everything on their phone. And I think when it comes to shopping, it's very important to understand that Gen Z actually um, prefer real life interactions over online stores. I see, I've seen that everywhere in my studies. Before the pandemic, when I asked the question, 58% said that their favorite channel is to actually to go to store. And during the pandemic, when we actually studied the similar question and we asked, what do you think you will do post-pandemic? 73% said that they will go back to stores at the same frequency or at a higher frequency than they did before the pandemic. So I think that's another thing. Don't assume that just because they are super connected, they don't want to do things in person. And I think the third thing is really one of the mistakes is not to take their seriously their activism. A lot of you know, a lot of people I talk to on the brand side would say, you know, this is just a youthful idealism and it will go away. I just don't believe in that. It is too a uh, too deeply ingrained and too uh, broadly defining uh, this generation. These are kids who talk to you about shopping and they use the words, I am not going to support a brand that is not aligned with my, with my value. Again, I never used the word I'm supposed to supporting a brand when I'm making a purchase. And it's just something that it's so defined who they are. And I think that's going to be even stronger attitude after the after the pandemic, because one of the things that they've been doing during the pandemic, they were watching very closely what brands are doing. How did you treat your community? How did you help people who work for you? Um, you know, were you, were you helpful? Were you willing to contribute to your community? And that's going to play a major role in how they are going to 
uh, interact with these brands going forward or whether they're going to support them or not. So interesting. You probably saw the press release by The Gap, how they would carry any size mm-hmm. um, in their store at any point. Uh, and, and I thought that was so interest, such an interesting mm-hmm. way to move forward. And we think about, and, and the reason why for the, for the audience is because there's um, body shaming that happens. If you go to shop mm-hmm. at a store and they don't carry your size, then you mm-hmm. immediately feel like you've been othered um, using a Gen Z term, I think. Yes. Uh, and right. And, and it, and it creates this like negative sort of view of yourself as you relate or being judged by, by um, the brand. And I think the gap is a really good example of a brand that said they're recognizing this and then carrying that through to the actual uh, behaviors of how, you know, what they actually do and how they deliver uh, their products and services. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's going back to the point where we started when you asked me what is different about them. And my answer was diversity. And I think for Gen Z, diversity is a much more broader terms than just the demographic. It's not only about race. It's about having a acceptance and to, ev- to everyone, no matter who they are. And when it comes to their relationship with brands, it's exactly that. They want brands to be inclusive in terms of body shapes, sizes, race, uh, sexual orientation, gender expressions. They really appreciate brands that do that. I mean, look who is the most successful brands with this generation. It's Nike. And um, an American Eagle, especially Airy, which is the the um, underwear brand under American Eagle, and Airy is just excelling on these on these dimensions. If you look at what they do, they are super inclusive. They use real women in their advertising. They openly talk about the issues that this generation cares about, and and that's what resonates with this new generation of consumers. Oh, there's so much I want to unpack there, but we just don't have time. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really, it's really an important point. I, I think about how it relates to actually our craft, which is as researchers, a big part of that is survey creation, right? Mm-hmm. The instrumentation of questions. And mm-hmm. I recently I posed a question to a, uh, a group of peers about mm-hmm. how they ask gender. Um, now. Mm-hmm. And I actually got some significant pushback by a few people mm-hmm. um, that it should be, um, you know, male, female, and that's just kind of how it is. Um, but the problem is with Gen Z is mm-hmm. you immediately alienate the whole category by mm-hmm. having a question that isn't inclusive. That's right. That's right. And it, and it, it happens all the time. And talking about you know questionnaires, it, one of the things that I find very interesting is that the whole point about Gen Z not having attention span is kind of is kind of accurate. I try to always limit like online surveys for not more than ten to fifteen minutes, and very small you know very short and sharp questions. And I think what I find very interesting is that the more you make your questionnaire to resemble their daily life, the better of the, out, the, the better outcome that you get. So for example, asking a question uh, and or asking for the answer with a picture. 
So to give you an example, I once did something for a client in the beauty industry, and I wanted them to tell me what beauty means to them, but not answer it in words. It's, not, it's like asking an open-ended question, but I wanted a photograph. And it was just fascinating to see what I got. And, you know, we always say one picture is worth thousand words. And I would say, if you get 1000 pictures, that's like a gold mine for a market research because you actually get to see that it's so much more than just the product or the makeup they're using or, or, or the skin issues that they are facing. It's, it's all about confidence and self-expression and self-care. So, so many things can be actually taken out of just looking at photos and trying to codify what this is actually tell us. It's just fascinating. And they are very willing and happy participants when you ask the question this way. We've kind of touched on my next question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. What is one piece of advice you would give a brand that wants to connect with Gen Z? I would say be authentic. That's number one thing to succeed with this generation. And I know authenticity is a word that's been thrown around a lot when we talk about Gen Z, but in reality, it is one of the most important aspects of this generation. As I said before, Gen Z grew up in a celebrity and social media culture, and to a large degree, they grew up to resent it. They don't want this, what they call fake pictures and those images that are showing a perfect life and a perfect selfies. They just don't buy that. They see it as unreal. And if, if they, they want the, one, the, the real thing, I always say, be yourself is the Gen Z mantra. And if you look on TikTok, be yourself hashtag is probably having like 2 billion views. It's like one of the most used, the kind of words by this generation. And I think as much as they expect themselves to be authentic and their friends to be authentic, they expect, they expect brand to be authentic. And that means anything from how you communicate, how you describe who you are, what you stand for. And if you stand for something, show it to me with, with some proofs so I know that I can trust you. And I believe that authenticity in the end of the day is going to be the most important aspect of a brand that's going to help building trust with this generation. The generation has birthed, or I should say TikTok and, and social media platforms uh, mm -hmm. like TikTok has birthed an amazing capacity or engine for content creators. Mm -hmm. Of course, Gen Z, not, they don't like wholesale own it. There's plenty of even, you know, mm -hmm. my, there's boomers on, on, on the platform, but yeah. my, my, my point is that like Gen Z, they're all about content creation and they're, they, they're figuring out how to tell stories that mm -hmm. are honestly more engaging than highly produced Netflix uh, unique shows. Absolutely. And, and I think this is, this is why I get a bit frustrated when People tell me that, you know, Gen Z, they have a very short attention span. They, they can't communicate. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, show me how can you put a, a very complicated 
concept into a 15 minute, 15 second videos. These kids can do it every day of the week. And, and I think that's just a shift in how we communicating. This is a very, because of technology, this is a very visual and very, uh, they are communicating visually and visual communicate, communication is really a defining factor of who they are. And they are very creative. They know how to use the tools that they grew up with to deliver messages, to do fun things, to communicate with each other. And I think it's, uh, it's fascinating to watch. A great example of that is, this is a, something that's been trending for a while now, mm -hmm. um, is uh, tell me you love Nike, but don't tell me you love Nike. Yes. Right? And, so, <laughs> and, and so the way that the content creators actually put that together and tell that story without actually using the words mm -hmm. is a bazillion times more impactful than them using the words. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes you see, you see that it could be, it could be just a hand sketching something and, and it's very quick and it delivers, it delivers a message. You don't, you don't really need a word. And, and it's, it's sometimes it's just, it's a photograph or, or a meme, which is, you know, some people call them the meme generation. And they, they learn how to use these tools, one, to express themselves, but I think also to a large extent as a, as a, I, th I see memes as kind of social critique. And it's, it's, very, it's very engaging. It's very, in a way, in a culture where we are now, where there is so much rage and so much polarization, I see this generation kind of creating those kind of, reactions that could be actually sometimes very deep, but it's done in a very unharmful way, which is an antithesis to everything that happened around him. Last question. What is your personal motto? Everything is possible. My guest today has been Hannah Bin Shabbat, keynote speaker, founder of Gen Z Planet, and author of Gen Z 360. Thank you, Hannah, for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you for having me. Everyone else, there's so much value in this episode. Screen capture, share it on social media, tag me, and I will send you a free t-shirt. Have a great rest of your day.